I first started running about 15 years ago as a way to quit smoking. Back then, my running clothes were very Rocky Balboa, so sweatpants, sweatshirt. Anyone who goes hiking or trail running knows that it's a lot easier and a lot more fun when you're wearing the right gear. Jonji makes performance apparel that'll take you farther on your runs and hikes. They have this merino wool hoodie that I wore on multiple trail runs this weekend. It's soft, it's warm, and most importantly, it does not get stinky when you get stinky. Another reason to love Jonji is that they donate 2% of all sales towards clean water projects, raising nearly $1 million so far. Head to Jonji.com to find your new favorite trail wear, outdoors accessories, and essentials. And use the code OUTSIDE for 10% off at Jonji.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com with the code OUTSIDE for 10% off. When I was a little kid, my whole family, grandparents included, packed into a Dodge Caravan and went on a two-week road trip to Wyoming. We saw the rodeo in Cody, a grizzly bear in Yellowstone National Park, and an epic thunderstorm near Devil's Tower. On that trip, I fell in love with the West and the natural world. This might sound cheesy, but it kind of made me who I am today. Wyoming has it all. Breathtaking hikes, kid-friendly museums, two of the coolest national parks in the country. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. From my very first days as a reporter in New Hampshire, I've been hearing about this place. At one time, we had the largest buffalo herd in the United States. And it's a, it's a fantastic story. But I never heard about it directly. It was always through a guy who knew a guy who had been inside. The next thing I know, out comes this wild boar. And he just moves right into the middle of the clearing. It reminds me of a train. And he just stood there. But the more you hear about this place, the more unbelievable it seems. You know, I grew up in New Hampshire, and I just heard rumors about it. I remember a friend from Grantham telling me about it and said, yeah, they get, you know, 26-mile fence going through town that you can't get into. It's the biggest secret. It's the Millionaire's Hunt Club, you know, the most exclusive, you know, game preserve in the United States. Today on Outside In, I'm going to take you hunting, but not hunting for animals. Instead, hunting for the secret of what's behind that 26-mile fence cutting through the woods of New Hampshire, and why some people want it to stay a secret. This mysterious place is officially called the Blue Mountain Forest Association, but everybody calls it Corbin's Park, and we'll get to why it's called that. It's in a part of New Hampshire we call the Upper Valley, near the border with Vermont. To get there, I drove to the end of a long dirt road. 
There are lots of different roads that lead to this place because it's huge, though its exact size seems to be something of a mystery. I saw numbers ranging from 24,000 to 26,000 acres. But regardless, this park is actually bigger than something like 60% of New Hampshire towns. At the end of the rough dirt road, I find a tall chain link fence and a locked gate. It feels almost like stumbling across a military base full of UFOs or something. This is the gate right here. And this is Brian Mayette, a retired database administrator who lives in an off-the-grid home right next door. Pretty unassuming. It looks kind of rickety, but it is holding up, and that's the, the famous sign. The famous sign, which is reprinted hundreds of times along this huge fence, says the enclosed park fence and signs are protected by a special law of this state, and any person trespassing herein or in any way violating that law will be prosecuted. So I'm sure you're wondering, like I was, what's on the other side of that fence? Oh, in the fall it's cool because you get elk bugling in here. And I even bought a, a, a elk cow call. And I came down, and I've, I used it a few times. It never seemed to work. I even came down here once because I could hear one bugling sound like just inside the fence. I mean, he probably smelled me or something. But I came down here with, with some night vision goggles because I was hoping to see him. And I, was, and I was even doing the call. But I never saw anything. Let me just underline this here. Elk, in case you didn't know, are a Western thing. We don't have them in New Hampshire, except on the other side of this fence. And that's not the only thing that's over there. Because anytime people come up here to work or anything, they always say, oh, you know, what? you see the pigs? Pigs. I need to just jump in again and point out that when he says pigs, he's referring to wild boar, specifically Eurasian wild boar imported from Germany into New Hampshire. You see the pigs, and what, do you see any animals? And no, I mean, if you come down here, this is, this is what you see. You see a bunch of trees. That's, that's all you ever see. There are elk bugling, and Eurasian wild boars hustling around behind those fences. But why? The trouble with finding the answer to that question is that no one inside of Corbin's Park wants to talk about it. Corbin's Park is a members-only club. If you're a reporter and identify yourself as such, not only do the employees of the park not want to talk to you, the members don't want to talk to you, the people they have invited as guests don't want to talk to you, even some regular folks in town don't want to talk to you. In fact, basically the only way to talk about Corbin's Park today is to start by talking about Corbin's Park a hundred years ago. The farther back in time I went, the easier it was for me to find people who want to talk about this place. I like your doorbell. Well, the north door plays National Anthem, and the south door plays Dixie. So I know somebody came in, and I know what floor they're on. <laughs> which is what brought me to Larry Cody, retiree and chair of the Newport Historical Society, which is where all of the historical documents about Corbin's Park are kept. 
this is our uh, fourth year, and you're the first person that's asked about it. So I'd, I'd say it's pretty rare that somebody's got a lot of inquisitivism. And so here's the basic story. It starts with a guy named Austin Corbin. Born in 1827, grandson of the town doctor in Newport, New Hampshire. And he went to Harvard, and then he went to Davenport, Iowa. He was planning on doing some lawyering out there. But when he got out there, he saw the money was really in real estate and banking. So he bought into a bank, and he really made it big. But but we're talking like, I mean, founding father of the banking industry is like up there with J.P. Morgan. Oh, yeah. He, he was friends with all those guys. He then heads out to New York where he invests in some swampy property out in this underdeveloped borough, Brooklyn. He drained the swamp, he tore down the shacks, he built two hotels, the Oriental and the Manhattan, and that's how Coney Island got started. Okay, so you're starting to get the point. I picture Austin Corbin like rich Uncle Pennybags, the little top hat guy from Monopoly. Man about town, buying up railroads and properties, hobnobbing with the Vanderbilts. But as he's amassing his fortune... Part of him just wants to go back to New Hampshire. You know, he's a farmer at heart. So he hires a guy to start buying up farms. And in so doing, he didn't exactly endear himself to the locals. You know, just like everything, there's people that say he was a robber and all that kind of stuff. There's even a rhyme that people in Croydon, one of the towns bordering the park, started saying about this time. Austin Corbin, grasping soul. Wants this land from pole to pole. Croydon people, bless your stars. You'll find plenty of land on Mars. Corbin bought 60-some-odd farms. Again, in New Hampshire, this is the size of an entire town. And he set about building his very own dream game reserve. Uh, the elk cost him $5,000, the moose 1500 the buffalo 6000 deer and antelope 1000 wild uh, boar pigs $1,000, uh, and then the additional other animals were another 5500 Caribou, reindeer, bighorned sheep, pheasants, Himalayan mountain goats, animals from all over the world. It was like an exotic, cold-weather safari. But then, just when the park is really starting to shape up, Austin Corbin and his son decide to take some new horses for an outing. His uh, carriageman harnessed him up without blinders to bring uh, Austin Corbin, his uh, grandson, and uh, grandson's teacher for, for a day out of fishing and stuff. And Austin Corbin opened up a, a parasol to shade his grandson from the sun, and it spooked the horses. And he went flying down the driveway. The carriage was upset, and Austin Corbin and the, uh, the driver were both thrown into the stone wall, and they both died. For a few decades, the park is operated by Austin Corbin's son also named Austin Corbin. And these are what you might call the golden years of the park. Famous people come to hunt. There's a picture of George S. Edgel bidding Teddy Roosevelt goodbye. An author who's kind of like the real-life Dr. Doolittle takes up residence. He was a a world-renowned naturalist. The park's buffalo, at least according to some, were instrumental in restoring the bison herds to the American West. 
At one time, we had the largest buffalo herd in the United States. In the early days, it was open to the public. Every Wednesday, they were invited to come and explore. There was even a winter carnival held there once. The townsfolk came in for a deer hunt, ski jumping, a ball, and a banquet. But after Austin Corbin, the founder, dies, his fortune slowly begins to ebb away. Austin Corbin, the son, can't quite replicate whatever business magic his dad had. Austin Corbin the fourth, if you want to call it that, he died in 38, kind of kind of penniless. You know, he'd, he'd gone through his fortune. That same year, a massive hurricane blows down huge amounts of the fence that keep the park enclosed, and boar and elk escape in large numbers. The park falls into disrepair until eventually in 1944, his family gives it up. A group of wealthy hunters takes it over. And as time goes by, the park drops further and further from the public eye. And today, most people I talk to who are from New Hampshire have never heard of the place. These days, whatever's going on in Corbin's Park stays in Corbin's Park. except for when not everything stays inside. Tito's Handmade Vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Master Force Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Master Force tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Back in 1987, we believe, my wife corrected me, 86. My next brush with Corbin's Park brought me to Sonny Martin, former owner of a hardware store in Lancaster, New Hampshire. So somewhere first of November... Um, I was sitting in my tree stand, and um, it was getting, you know, dusky. I always call it next to dark. Well, the next thing I know, out comes this wild boar, and he just moves right into the middle of the clearing. It reminds me of a train, or just his legs just moving, you know. I've always said that. And he just stood there, and as if, take your best shot. And so he did. 
you know, lo and behold, there it was. Wild boar can weigh more than 200 pounds, and they need to eat more than 4,000 calories a day. They're aggressive, they're a nuisance to farmers, and they reproduce like crazy. It's not unusual for one sow to have six piglets per litter, and sometimes they have two litters per year. They love to dig with their snouts, and they're smart. One guy I talked to said, once they design a fence that can hold water, it will be strong enough to hold a pig. In other words, they're escape artists. Lancaster, New Hampshire, where Sonny Martin shot that wild boar, is 70 miles north of Corbin's Park. It was kind of, you know, it's just, it was a little bit just unbelievable to see something laying there. So here's where we get to another layer of secrets. Not only is what's happening inside the fence shrouded in mystery, but some of the activities outside the fence are happening under the radar too. Technically, the wild boar that escape Corbin's Park are property of Corbin's Park, and hunters outside the fence aren't allowed to shoot them without permission. Well, did it go through my mind about, well, is this legal, illegal? Uh, no. But the park is liable for any damage that an escaped boar might cause, and they can cause a lot of damage. So the park is fine with letting local hunters clean up the problem for them. There's this kind of symbiotic relationship going on. Local hunters get to experience the thrill of hunting exotic game without being part of Corbin's exclusive club. And they take care of one of the park's issues. It seems pretty rare for the pigs to make it very far once they get outside. But it's hard for me to know this for sure because it's so hard to get hunters to talk about this weird, semi-regulated hunting season. Secrets within secrets. Like a Russian nesting doll of secrets. Now, I tried for a very long time to talk to someone who's a member of Corbin's Park. I called the president of the park. I called the superintendent a bunch of times. I called another member who I had this random tangential connection to. So yeah, so so whatever you need. I mean, I'm this is my number. Uh, do you, do you have caller ID? Should I give it to you? I even eventually wrote a letter to the general address of Corbin's Park, which today is officially known as the Blue Mountain Forest Association. No response. That's my that's my pitch basically. Is that you know get your get your voice heard. <laughs> While I did succeed in talking to a number of people who have been guests and hunted inside the park, and I even managed to talk to one current member, none of these folks wanted to be interviewed in front of a microphone. But I was able to pull the park's tax returns, because it's a nonprofit, so they're public. So here's what I learned. There are 30 members. We know who some of those folks are, because their names show up as directors of the park on the tax forms. One is the CEO of a plastics company that makes things like the spout on a can of whipped cream. There's this self-made millionaire whose company built a stealth boat that they're trying to sell to the U.S. military. There's the owner of a major gun manufacturing company who also happens to own Austin Corbin's old mansion. And there's even one of the descendants of the Von Trapp family singers from The Sound of Music. These 30 members and their guests shoot somewhere between 200 and 600 wild boar every year, and between 40 and 120 deer and elk. From the tax forms, you can see that the park makes money off of meat cutting. Members can pay to have their meat butchered for them. 
But most of their income comes from membership dues, which cost something in the neighborhood of $25,000 a year per member. To become a member, you also have to buy the shares of a former member. No one told me how much it cost them to buy into the club initially, and my guess is that the reason for that is that it's super expensive. They didn't want that information out floating around in the world. I imagine they don't want their wealth attracting attention. Attention from people like Rennie Cushing. You can't get into it. It's the biggest secret. It's the millionaire's hunt club. Um, you know, the most exclusive uh, you know, game preserve in the United States. Rennie Cushing is a New Hampshire state legislator who says that on the political spectrum, he leans more toward the socialist end of things. He tried to get a bill passed to require people who hunt boar inside Corbin's Park to buy a New Hampshire hunting license, which is not currently required. I mean, do you think it's fair to to go after them just because they're exclusive? I mean, it's their property, right? I, I think it's it's fair that they pay their fair share. I don't think that, you know, that the people who go surf casting pay their $8 to support the fish and game department when they, you know, should end up subsidizing the operations of the fish and game department when they have to go to Corbin Park and respond to a hunter being shot or when they have to pick up a wild boar that escaped from this fenced-in property and the rest of us are, you know, picking up the tab. It's just about fairness. So, yes, there's an issue of fairness, but... I also get why it's been so hard to talk to members of Corbin's Park. They probably feel like just laying out certain facts of this place will probably get a negative reaction. If they talk to reporters, more reporters will do more stories, which means more people talking about this gigantic, exclusive park. If they don't talk, then this happens, where they seem somehow shady for exercising their right to not comment. They probably feel like outside the fence... They can't win. You know, there's been this, like, assumption from everyone that I've talked to that if I'm doing a piece about Corbin Park, yeah. that it's a hit piece. What's a, you know, what is a hit piece? That, that basically it's going to be about how it's exclusive, they're millionaires, yeah. no one can go in, and... That's the truth. That, that is all That's true. That's the truth. And what's... And, and, I mean, how is it a hit piece when you, you know, when it's such an, a significant part of the territory of the state of New Hampshire... Um, you know, isn't it, is it a hit piece to, to ask, you know, what is it? What is this place that has a 26-mile fence around it? So let's just lay it out here. What is this place? It's 26,000 acres, fenced off, stocked with elk, Eurasian wild boar, and white-tailed deer. It's private, but you can get in if you're invited by a member. It was built over 100 years ago by a super wealthy banker. Every year, hunters inside shoot somewhere between 200 and 600 wild boar and between 40 and 120 elk and deer. The animals are fed through the winter to help keep the populations up, but you're not allowed to hunt around the feeding sites. Members can get the meat butchered and smoked on site. They can stay in cabins and old farmhouses, the ones that are still standing, that are sprinkled throughout the park. They can hike up Croydon and Grantham Peaks, the two tallest mountains in Sullivan County, which are inside the fence. It's expensive to be a member, and only 30 people are allowed to be members. When someone wants to sell their shares, if you want to buy, you've got to know a guy who knows a guy. There's no announcement in the papers. 
And we also know that most of the people who live near this park, folks like Brian Mayette, have no problem with the place. They tend to say it's a good neighbor, the park is quiet, it pays its taxes. However you feel about all that, it's up to you. I haven't been past the gate of Corbin's Park, at least not on the ground. A member did invite me for next fall, but I have my doubts as to whether that invitation will still stand after this story. We found a friend of a friend who's part of a flying club and was willing to take me up in a Cessna to get eyes on the place. It was maybe a 20-minute flight to get there, but it was pretty hard to miss the park. I mean, it's got those huge mountains in the middle. So this is, this is the sanctuary, they call this, this whole area. You're not allowed to shoot around the buildings. The leaves weren't out on the trees yet, and you could see a lot. Yeah, lots of trails, sort of. Oh, I see the fence. We're right over right now. But I didn't spot any herds of wild boar roaming peacefully throughout the forests. And apart from some very tidily maintained buildings and some really impressive cliffs, there wasn't much to see. In the end, I don't think Corbin's Park is actually a mystery. Here's one of the people I talked to who has been inside. Heidi Murphy is a lieutenant with New Hampshire Fish and Game. I, like, I find this place so totally fascinating. Like, it, like I, I feel like you must walk in and it's like, it's like animals are like eating from your hand and they're like well, birds landing on your shoulders. No, it's not quite like that. I mean, when, sometimes when you walk in, you're not going to see an animal for a while. Um, it's just, you know, a big, huge patch of woods with some hunters that are camping out in some cabins. <laughs> so... The mystery's not that exciting. Oh no, no. It's, you know, it's New Hampshire woods. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks. Outside In was produced this week by me, Sam Evans-Brown, Molly Donahue, and Logan Shannon, with help from Taylor Quimby, Maureen McMurray, and Jimmy Gutierrez. Special thanks this week to David Alabin and Tony Musante from the USDA. By the way, if you happen to see an escaped wild boar in New Hampshire, you should report it to the guys over at the USDA. Thanks also to Ken Hoff, who volunteered his time and his skills to give me a ride in an airplane over Corbin's Park. If you want to see some photos from that airplane ride, as well as some historical pictures of things happening inside the park, you can find them at OutsideInRadio.org. And you can also find us posting jokes on all of the social medias at Outside In Radio. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. handmade vodka had been mixed with its fair share of cocktails. But one night, a chilled glass topped with lime and cranberry would change everything this bottle knew about happy hour. From the producers of America's Favorite Vodka, it turns out the cocktail you've been waiting for was right there the whole time. 
The Tito's Rom Cosmo. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll sip with Tito's. Coming to cocktail parties near you at titosvodka.com. 40% alcohol by volume, namely 80 proof, crafted to be savored responsibly. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.